Chapter Twenty One of the Great White Queen by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty One, A Figure in the Shadow. An hour after sundown, I was seated with Omar and Kona on a mat in the courtyard of a house not far from the gates of the palace, where hospitality had been secretly offered us. We were discussing the situation. Our black followers, on leaving the presence of the irate queen, had gone out in small groups to wander through the wonderful city, having arranged to meet again at midnight. The man in whose house we had found shelter was named Galiba, a staunch friend of Omar's, although one of the royal councillors. As we sat together this old man with long flowing white beard, keen aquiline features and black eyes that age had not dimmed, explained facts that amazed us. He told us that Kuaga, a favorite of the Naya, had been approached secretly by her as to the advisability of Omar's assassination. The old counselor had actually overheard this dastardly plot formed by the queen against her son, for she feared that owing to the harshness of her rule popular opinion might be diverted in his favor, and that she might be overthrown, and he set upon the emerald throne in her stead. The Naya had regretted sending Omar away for safety, so, giving Kuaga a large sum of money, she ordered him to proceed to England and assassinate the heir. He left, and apparently on his way conceived the idea that he might, with considerable advantage, play a double game. Samory, whose secret agent in Mo he was, intended, he knew, to lead a great expedition against the unapproachable country its principal object being to secure the vast treasures known to be concealed within the city in the clouds. As Omar alone knew its secret hiding-place, it occurred to Kuaga to convey him to the stronghold of the Mohammedan chief before assassinating him, and obtain from him the whereabouts of the great collection of golden gems. The Naya had ordered that her son should be killed secretly in England, but this cowardly crime was averted by Kuaga's cupidity and we had therefore been enticed to the Arab sheikh's headquarters. The object of both men being thwarted by Omar's refusal to divulge the secret, we had been sold into slavery and consigned as human sacrifices before King Prempeh. "'We'll be even yet with that scoundrel and traitor, Kuaga,' Omar said, turning to me when Goliba had finished. "'If the command be given, every man in Mo would go forth against Samory's accursed hordes.' Goliba declared with emphasis, removing the mouthpiece of his long pipe from his lips. "'But how dost thou intend now to act?' he asked Omar. "'Remember, thou art banished until the Naya's death. Let us hope that Zamara will not spare her long to tyrannize over our land and to plot against thy life,' he added in a half-whisper. Omar started in surprise. This man, one of the principal advisers of his royal mother, was actually expressing a wish that she might die. It occurred to me, too, that if her advisers were antagonistic towards her, might not the poor, oppressed and afflicted people also be of the same mind? "'Speak, O Goliba,' Omar said. "'Is the balance of popular feeling actually against the Naya?' "'Entirely. Within the past few years the loyal spirit hath, on account of the revolting cruelties practiced by thy royal mother, turned utterly against her. Before thy departure to the land beyond the black water, the loyal feeling was uppermost because of the efforts of Mulatto to obtain the crown. 
Now, however, that the power of his party is broken, and the Naya, feeling her position invulnerable, hath commenced a reign of terror, disgust, and despair, are felt on every hand. "'What must I do?' Omar asked. "'Remain here,' the sage replied. "'Thou art banished from the royal presence, it is true. But heed not her words, and remain with thy followers in Mo." Guard vigilantly against the attempts of secret assassins that are certain to be made when the Naya is aware of thy defiance. But remember thou art heir to the Emerald Throne, and although some of the regiments may remain loyal unto their queen, the majority of our fighting men are thine to command. Omar knit his brows, and thought deeply for several moments. It was apparent that this suggestion to oppose the Naya by force of arms had never before entered his mind. "'Is this really true?' he asked in a doubting tone. "'O master, let thy servant Goliva perish rather than his word be questioned. As counsellor of thy queen mother have I not greater facilities for testing the popular feeling than any other man in Mo? I swear by Zamara's wrath that what I have uttered is truth. If thou remainest here, in hiding for a time it may be, thou shalt either be restored to the royal favor and thy friends recognized, or thou shalt assuredly occupy the royal stool. The people, living as they do in constant dread of the Naya's cruelties, would hail with satisfaction any change of rule that would ensure safety to their persons and property. Thou art their savior. Take the advice of our friend Galiba, I urged. Let us remain and defy her. Yea, cried Kona, displaying his even white teeth the Dagombas are here and likely to remain. They will fight and die to a man in thy cause. I, their head man, speak for them. Is it agreed? Omar asked, glancing at us. It is, we all three answered with one voice, Kona and Galiba fingering their amulets as they spoke. Then, if it is thy will, I shall remain and defy the Naya, Omar answered, grasping the string of jujus around his neck and muttering some words I could not catch. I, Omar, Prince of Mo, am thy leader in this struggle of my people against oppression and misrule. If they will declare in my favor, I will free them. I have spoken. Thou hast until noon tomorrow to quit this city, Goliba said. Hasten not thy decision, but what I will show thee secretly ere long will perhaps convince thee of the terrors of the Naya's reign. I have often counseled the queen to aspire to the virtues of truth, wisdom, justice, and moderation, the great ornaments of the emerald throne, but my endeavors have been frustrated and the fruit of my labor blasted. As the white-bearded sage uttered these words I noticed that from behind one of the great marble pillars of the colonnade that surrounded the courtyard of Goliba's fine house a white robe flitted for an instant, disappearing in the fast-falling gloom. At the moment, sitting as we were smoking and chatting in the open air, the presence of an intruder did not strike me as strange, and only half an hour later did I begin to fear that our decision had been listened to by an eavesdropper, possibly a spy in the service of the terrible queen. When, after due reflection, I imparted my misgivings privately to Galiba, he, however, allayed my fears, smiling as he said, He did not. It was but my slave few. I saw her also as she passed along. Then thou dost not fear spies, I said. Not in this mine own house, he said proudly. 
the dwelling-house of a royal counsellor is exempt from any espionage in the Naya's cause. This satisfied me, and the incident escaped my recollection entirely until long after, when I had bitter cause to remember it, as will be seen from later chapters of this record. Soon after Omar had promised to act as our leader in his country's cause, Galiva arose, and crossing the courtyard, now lit only by the bright stars twinkling in the dark blue vault above, disappeared through a door with a fine horseshoe arch in Moorish style. Left together we sat cross-legged on the map, a silent, thoughtful trio. Omar had decided to act on the sage's advice, and none of us knew what the result might be. That fierce fighting and terrible bloodshed must occur ere the struggle ended, we felt assured but with our mere handful of dagambas we were certainly no match for the trained hosts of the Naya. Presently we began to discuss the matter among ourselves. Kona, enthusiastic yet hardly sanguine, wondered whether the people were armed, and if not, where we could procure guns and ammunition. Omar, on the other hand, assured us that nearly every civilian possessed a gun, being bound by law to acquire one so that he might act his part in an immediate defense in case of invasion. He had no apprehensions regarding the materials for war. He only feared that Galiba might be mistaken in the estimate of his popularity. "'If they will only stand by me they shall have freedom,' he said decisively. "'If they do not, death will come to all of us.' "'We are ready,' Kona answered, his black face glistening in the ray of light shed by the single lamp lit by a slave on the opposite side of the court. We will serve thy cause while we have breath. A few minutes later footsteps sounded on the paving, and from the darkness of the colonnade Galiba, accompanied by six other younger men, all tall, erect, and stately, emerged from the shadow and approached us. Addressing Omar, the sage said, All these men are known to thee, O master. I need not repeat their names, but they have known thee since their birth, and are of a verity of power in our land. They have come hither to see thee. My friend, rising, gave them greeting, snapped fingers with them, and answered, I forget no face. I remember each, and I know ye are men of might and justice. Each was ruler of a province. All are still governors, interrupted the sage. They have come hither to swear allegiance to thee. "'It is even so, O oh master,' exclaimed one of the men, hitching his rich cloak of gold-colored silk more closely around his shoulders. "'We have met and resolved to ask thee to defy the sentence of banishment that the Naya hath imposed upon thee.' "'Already have I decided so to do,' Omar answered. "'Have I the support of thy people, O oh Narrow?' "'To a man,' the governor answered. "'For the military we cannot, however, answer.' they are ruled by unscrupulous place-seekers, who may defend the Naya, expecting to reap rich rewards. But such will assuredly discover that their confidence was misplaced. If the Naya seriously threateneth thee and thy friends, then assuredly she shall be overthrown, and thou shalt ascend the stool in her stead. I thank thee for these expressions of good will, my friend said after the remaining five had all spoken, and assured us of staunch support. I remain in Mo with my black companions, and when the time cometh I am ready to take a stand in the cause against tyranny and oppression. May the fetish be good, Nara said, and as if with one voice they all cried, We will offer daily sacrifices for the success of our arms. 
Together we then went to a small apartment, well furnished in Arab style with mats, low lounges, and tiny coffee tables, and during the three hours that followed the more minute details of this great conspiracy against the tyrannical Naya were discussed and arranged, Galiba acting as adviser upon various points. As I sat listening to the conversation, I fully realized the seriousness of the great undertaking upon which we had embarked, and I confess my confidence in our success was by no means deep-rooted, for it was apparent that in the revolt, if revolt became necessary, the military would act on the side of the Naya and suppress it with a firm, merciless hand. What apparently was most feared by our fellow conspirators was that in commanding the suppression of the rebellion the Naya would give orders for a general massacre of the people. To guard against this Nairo urged the secret assassination of the Naya immediately preceding the revolt, but Omar, rising with that regal air he now and then assumed, said, Give heed, O oh my friends, unto my words. I, Omar, Prince of Mo, will never sanction the murder of my mother. A Sanam hath never been a murderer. If this step be decided, I shall withdraw from the leadership and depart. But canst thou not see, O oh Prince, that a massacre would strike panic into the hearts of the people, and they would lay down their arms, Nairo urged. We must prevent all bloodshed that is unnecessary, my friend replied. I am fully aware that in such a struggle as the coming one it must be life for life, but I will never be a party to my mother's murder. If the people of Mo desire the Naya's overthrow on account of her barbarous treatment of her subjects and the bribery and corruption of her officials, then I, to preserve the traditions of my ancestors, will lead them, and act my part in their liberation, but only on the understanding that not a hair of her head is injured. The men grouped around nodded acquiescence, but smiled. When thou hast witnessed how the Naya ruleth her subjects, perhaps thou wilt not so readily defend her, one of the governors observed. Our ruler is not so just nor so merciful as when thou wert last in Mo. Go, let Galiba take thee in secret among the people, and only when we next meet decide the point. I will never allow the Naya to fall beneath the blade or poison cup of the assassin. Omar said decisively, A Sanam departeth not from the word he hath uttered. After some further discussion this horrible detail of the conspiracy was dropped, and other matters arranged with a coolness that utterly astounded me. We were plotting to obtain a kingdom. End of chapter 21 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com